It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, Damon, here we go. Four o'clock hour. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, ladies. Heidi, Laura Lee from Scalpink. We're in here again for the audience. And uh, you know what's funny? I think coming out of the gates, John Von Tobel's here, so we'll get John all set up too. I think for the audience in Reno, we had been on like two weeks and we had pitched them like, hey, sports talk radio for an hour from Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah it's good. Hardcore sports talk. When We never said that. And then two weeks in, we're like, yeah, we're at a pool and there's uh, bikinis and tug of war. John was the color voice on the event. That's right. Um, we are going. I don't. I don't even know why I say stuff like this because I don't even know if we have the capability. But we'll figure it out. <laughs> I think we do need a roving mic this year for bikini tug of war. One of us has to be able to leave the set because there were a couple times last year I started talking to people, professional research coverage, and uh, I look back and I'm like, oh, John's doing the show. Yeah. So we might have to add a sideline reporter. We'll see. We'll figure it out. A lot needs to come together. We got time. We can borrow some equipment from Learfield. Uh, we have equipment here. Yeah. yeah. Equipment. Oh, that's a good point. They do. Uh, we do have the roving mic. The mic. You literally the report. Yeah. I just, I'm like, where would we ever get that? Oh, that's right. Yes, we we actually do UNLV sidelines. So, Demond is here. It's 4 o'clock hour, ESPN Reno, ESPN Las Vegas. And, uh, yeah, we're going to do that bikini tug of war. That's going to be uh, downtown at the plaza. That'll be on Tuesday, September 12th. And we're going to try to line up some uh, pretty cool prizes. All right, let's get to it. Big four time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents The Big Four at Four Number Four I don't know that I like this story I know it's been Adam Hill loves this story and I re- It's funny, I don't know a whole lot about this Chiefs-aholic story I really didn't follow it, even though we hit on it a couple times So what exactly happened and where are we now? So essentially, Chiefsaholic would go around. For those who don't know, Chiefsaholic was the super fan. You've seen him. He is the Chiefs fan that was in the stands, always in the wolf outfit. And he was always at every game and loved the Chiefs. Turned out he didn't pay his way. Turned out he was robbing banks along the way so that he could fund his extravagant lifestyle to become Chiefsaholic. So after a cross-country trip that is going to be, I would I would hope, immortalized in film one day, they caught him. Well... Now he needs a lawyer up. But he's actually a pretty public figure. So there is some interest. He gets like a mini little scrum outside of a courthouse, and his lawyer wants people to know, Steve, Chiefsaholic, he's going to ride again one day. This is not Chiefsaholic's last drive. And he believes, and we believe, that when the final whistle blows and all of the facts are known, that he is going to be redeemed in the eyes of his community, in the eyes of his fans, and in the eyes of the Chiefs' kingdom. His fans. I never rooted against someone. And I've rooted against a lot of people in my life, and a lot of, like, hardcore criminals. I mean, since he's a Chiefs fan, I already dislike him, because they've turned out to be real pukes now that they're on top. What was that with the attorney? What are we doing here? Is this a TV show? I was in on the story of Chiefsaholic. I was going to root for him. Our, we talked about this actually when I filled yeah. in, right? Our generation's Robin Hood. We were looking for these guys. 
Wait, do we know that he was giving the money to the, the well, poor no, and downtrodden? He was giving no, the money to himself right. to go travel like a VIP to football game. But at least he was stealing it from the like the rich. Uh, okay. You said this was just corporate America getting a taste of their own That's medicine. Right. But okay. but but this, you don't have fans. First off, and the 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 lawyer just spewing sports cliches over and over again. So bad. That that was brutal. So now you have lost a fan, Chief Saholic. I hope you're right. Yeah, that's about five to ten years right there. That's what that is. Yep. <laughs> oh, if I was a judge and I heard that, oh, I'd do everything I possibly could. To get everything. <laughs> Throw the book at him. Uh, nice. Jury trial? Number three. Jury trial? Yes? What do we think? Oh, I don't know. I, I think this probably settles. You would think, right? I, I'd get the hell out. All his words right there. I'd oh, you're the doing a out. plea. You're doing everything you possibly can. Yeah. That was a long pause. That was like a bad Joe Buck uh, handshake, which we'll get to later. Good. Give me number three again. Number three. I, I don't. I don't want TV shows graded ahead of time. Don't ruin these things for me. But Demond's coming in with some maybe bad news on the Florida football documentary. Is this just because you've lost trust in Netflix? Because you didn't think the Manziel one was that good? Yeah, I watched it over the weekend. Oh, Johnny Manziel, tell all. It was nothing. It was a puff piece. He's like, oh man, I didn't figure things out. But he's playing beer pong and shooting darts with the homies at his house in Arizona. Oh, I just gave up. You know, I just, it was, I, there was nothing hard hitting. The fact that his, that his friend just, you know, made up the story about the oil money. Yeah, that's good. But now with this Florida one, the, it's not going to be the tabloid documentary that people want it to be. Oh, I'm out. That's the one headline I did go to read most of the article. But sometimes you just see that one sentence. It's not going to be the tabloid doc that it could be. Well, I don't want that. No, that's terrible news if that's the case. One, did you see the Manziel documentary? Saw like the first thirty minutes, and I tapped out. I I thought the most interesting part. Well, one, it was like the original. It wasn't the original. It was the most recent before NIL was NIL. It was one of the more recent, highly publicized cases where a guy just said, "F it, you know, what? I'm going to make money because they're making money off of me," which maybe put a little pressure on college sports to move faster on name, image, and likeness. But did you buy the fact that he sort of just quit because it became too hard? Like, he actually had to work at being a quarterback. Because I, I was blown away by the fact that he really didn't use much of the playbook and just played schoolyard football, playground football, and was a success on that level beating Nick Saban. And then he gets to the Browns, and he's like, oh, crap, I got to read the playbook, and I got to work, and there's, like, high-level competition. I'm out. Yep. I believe it. Look, in, in a single game where in college you get a little bit more out of it, so what are we talking here, 10, 11 possessions? Anything can happen, so maybe some schoolyard ball works. You're going to tell me that Johnny Manziel meets up with Alabama 10 times? That goes in Johnny Manziel and Texas a and favor? What, six out of 10 times? I don't think so. So I don't think it's shocking that he tapped out. Can I say really quickly, yes. Did you the, the quotes from the director for this Florida doc, yeah. you should get fired. Why, is he pitching something <laughs> incredible? <laughs> she, quote, this is incredible. Catherine English is her name. There had been a lot of negative press about the team, and obviously not all of it would ring true with the players themselves, and they didn't really want, and nor did we, a rehashing of the previous stories. That's what a documentary is! That's all we want, a rehashing of the previous stories with detail! That's what that documentary is. Yes! If you have 37 encounters of players in your program with law enforcement, and many more probably covered up by your fixer or fixers, yeah, we want to see that. What is this, an Urban Meyer-friendly Florida football documentary? What's the point? You know, it's funny. Going back, and we wound up having Nitro on, right? Um, have you watched the ESPN documentary? 
on American Gladiators? Because we watched the Netflix one, and that was awesome. And all I've heard about the ESPN one is that it was weak and it sucked. So let's give credit. When documentaries are good, like I think a lot of us are just like, well, the material was so good. And, you know, it's easy to make a good documentary. No, not if they don't. If they make the choice to freaking softball the thing, then it's a waste of time. I hope it's good. God, the material from Aaron Hernandez over, like, the, the chasm of behavior from Hernandez over to Tim Tebow. And by the way, the good side where Tebow's on, I want to see more about Tebow. I mean, you could, how, you could do a sick park documentary on Tim Tebow. Shame on these people if this thing sucks. Tebow's in the film, but there was an effort to not make the series about him. Ah! Get ready to hear about how some backup running backs now a middle school teacher or something. <laughs> oh, my. An effort not to make it about him. It's brutal. Holy crap. I'm a, yeah, we yeah. all watched some anti-Teo. Imagine if they were like, yeah, we're not going to do the fake girlfriend thing. Right. We just want to talk about his football. Second place at the Heisman. How, how did that feel? <laughs> the, the last dance. Like, nah, we're not really going to focus on MJ. Uh, we're, again, maybe maybe people are overreacting. Everyone's a TV critic. I hope it's good. It's her words. Man, you're right. She said we, we, we didn't want to do anything hardcore. Number two. Number two. Do we like the Kelsey brothers? I always ask this you know, when we talk about the podcast, and uh, Travis is annoying. Um, I think Jason's a little more down to earth, but uh, did he lose control at a practice? What happened here? Yeah, it looks like uh, JVT, maybe you'll have issue with him now. This was a joint practice with the Colts, and he takes a cheap shot where he's saying, like, I had the video, I didn't save it, but it's just, I've got to be better than that. So, Steve, maybe you'll give him a pass because at least he didn't go the Max Crosby route of we needed to get fired up. He apologized for actually taking a cheap shot at someone after practice. But I do like the Kelsey brothers, so I'm going to give him a pass. Yeah, he got into it with uh, Zyra Franklin. He said, we try to keep things civil on the field, and I pride myself on being a guy that sustains the emotions and level of play out there. I let my emotions get the better of me. That certainly doesn't belong uh, out there on the field. I'm a little ashamed that it got to that level. That is completely the opposite of what Max Crosby did. Yeah. Crosby not only said, I did it because I wanted to, but Cam Akers got some, or whatever the hell he said. And then Cam Akers responded. He's like, what did I get? What are you talking about? And, of course, Raider Nation was like, Max! Believe me. You mean Max, who, like, oh, I can't even start. I can't even start. Believe me, if uh, if Kelsey had gone full Max and said, you know, F. F that whole team, F the player, Eagle, the Eagles fans would have been behind us. So, yeah, I mean, he he has the freedom to do whatever he wants. So, and he took ownership. It's all right. It's kind of lame, actually. <laughs> you want him to be a badass? Right, yeah, come villain? on. Afterward, you don't need all this adult stuff. Like, no, just it's stop. football. Right. It happens. Just call it like that. Like, call it like it is. You know, when Max Crosby was physically assaulting Patrick Mahomes on the football field that we all saw on the quarterback dock, punching him with ferocity, just do that. Uh, we're about eight minutes away from another Raiders opponent preview. Week five, the Raiders will take on the Packers on Monday Night Football. Let's hit number one, though, as I try to slow the show down a little bit, waste some time. Number one. Uh, this number one, is, one. This one is simply slug. JVT has two bones to pick with Cofield. Yeah, number one. Last Wednesday, I was listening. Uh, Damon, I was. We talked about this on Friday. Oh no! I was very much in Damon's camp with the outfit last week. I was actually defending him. Okay. I gave him a tip about, hey, I'd rather just wear. I think the pants would look better than the shorts. Right. That's all I said. I don't need some shot of like, well, the way those two dress. Talking about me. I did. And I Adam did. Hill. I did lump you in. Look at me today. <laughs> you look nice. You have a nice button-down shirt on. The the better better than average shorts in our cargos. That's right. The it's hair is done nicely. You're right. Actually. And this is not a shot at Adam Hill, but it is. I should not lump you two together because you do care about your appearance. That's right. That well, was not a shot at Adam Hill. I have to. I have to be on camera. 
Uh, number you, you two. You are a TV person. That's right. National. Uh, number two. <laughs> As I was signing off yesterday, I, know. I hear in my ear, I can't wait for week five when this model just blows up in his face. I, I am sort of rooting against your modeling. But that's but the, this is people like you don't understand it. I'm expecting it to. It's a learning experience. You learn by failing. So, of course, it's going to blow up. It's the whole point. What are you rooting for? It's a no commodity going into it. I am the common man. And when you put your model up and there are recommendations, you know how Twitter is or Zeet or whatever it is, how it's going to react to your football pick. But they're not going to be recommendations. I'm keeping track of it. Using it. I have a contest entry that we're going to use all the picks. We're going to track the record, and I'm going to journal all the tweaks and changes I'm doing to the model. So it's a learning experience for all of us. We're, we're along for the ride. Yeah. I don't know if I want to be on the ride. Right. I'm not like I want to be I want to actually go week to week and see how bad this thing is and how much you have to tweak it. I what I got a kick out of yesterday was what game did we talk about where you were like it was like eight points the other way. Bills Jets. Oh, that's you kept yeah. you, you're like, I'm tweaking Bills Jets over and over, and you're like, I'm still at six and a half. I was yeah. at eight. I'm like, what is this model? Yeah, that's the whole point. You're learning. I didn't know about modeling. I'm learning about modeling. That's right. I don't even know how not that kind of modeling. I don't even know how you got into this. Who was the role model of the modeling? Me. It's what okay. you do. Bet sports bettors make models. It's a journalistic Can endeavor. You get a bet bash. No. Is that what happens? Is one of the outcomes of no, bet bash? No, no, no. This you, has been something that works for a while. Okay. I don't want to crush a dream. So the mod and I will be very open to learning about your model and, and helping you tweak. If you need me to use my abacus, that's an old joke. My old. If I could get internet in here, I would totally pull it up right now. <laughs> oh, no. Really? All right. We got to take a break. We might be back in an hour and a half. Fix the internet. Well, Damon, the show has officially fallen apart. JVT's on board. Uh, we went to an abrupt break, even though it was a hard out. Because of internet issues, he was just screaming at me about something else, about his modeling. Are you going to yell the rest of the show? Are you going to yell at our guest? Can we do a Packers preview here and do you want my, be, do you want, be civil about it? My model I've named John Von Model. I know, um, I know. You want the projection for Packers Bears Week One? Um, let's bring in Peter Bukowski, right? I, Why not? I, right I, from from Locked On, Peter. How are you? We're uh, we have a numbers nerd here in John. I'm just an old guy who's uh, worried about John's anger issues. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm I'm like um, a mix of all those things. So okay. we're in a good place. It just depends on what part of the day, right? So exactly. Okay, John. Why don't we open with this before we get to uh, deep dive? Packers preview. John has a new model. He's trying to predict all the games. It's uh, very math-heavy. I don't know what goes into it. John, what do you got? Uh, it projected 2.3-point victory for the Green Bay Packers. Okay. Um, how do you feel about that? We're betting this, so whatever you say, that's how we're betting. Well, that would that would certainly uh, be an easy way to make money then because uh, most of the lines that I've seen have, have the Bears favored, Ooh. right? I mean, that's, that's where we are right now. So if you're projecting a Packers 2-plus-point victory, I mean, that's – that's four or five points off from what Vegas – at least the line opened, I believe. The line opened Bears minus two and a half. So if we're talking about a two-point Packers victory, we're talking about almost five points of separation here uh, between what the odds makers are seeing and what your model is seeing. But I, I agree with the model, by the way. Yeah. I think the, the Bears are vastly overrated coming into this season. Yeah. I, I think the Packers are vastly underrated. The Bears – so this is, this is a great stat I found for the Bears fans in my life, and there are way too many of them. And that is that the average team with the number one overall pick only improves the following season against the spread by about 12%. Well, that's like one win. Mm. 
They won three games last year. So are they really going to be that much better? Are they going to be, should they be favored at home? Should they, let's, let's start here. Should they be favored against literally anyone that's not the Arizona Cardinals? I don't, I don't know that, wow. that we have a good answer for that right now. But uh, I think the Packers should definitely be favored over them in almost any circumstance. Yeah, two things. First off, uh, John Von Model hates Justin Fields. Every metric I put in, John it's just Von like it just. It, there's nothing that'll um, that'll put it forth, spit it forth something positive for Chicago. And you know, to your point, Pete, like when it comes to Justin Fields overall, I, I can ex- I think if you want to expect a step forward, it is understandable. But to expect whatever the market is expecting, seven and a half wins, a uh, big liability in terms of MVP, I just don't. I can't really get behind it. It is it is the easiest fade the public bet of the season, and and I just um I, I I kind of hate that this is where we started, but I also kind of love it because it's very on brand for me personally. Can I can I add really quickly? Uh, and this will tie into the Green Bay Packers, uh, you know, because I don't have a lot to it go better. on. I got I don't have a lot to go on with Jordan Love, so all I did was uh, put in some statistics that made him equivalent to Joe Burrow because that's what I think he's going to be. Oh, stop, please. He's going to be good, I mean, right? He's going to be good. So this is so interesting because I actually did uh, an episode of Locked on Packers today, great segue, about the Jordan Love hype train. And I, I said, look, it's so much more than just two preseason games. If you want to get excited about those preseason games, I think you should. I think it's good that he has looked good in two preseason games. It certainly looks, It's certainly better than if he looked bad, right? But he does things that you need your quarterback to baseline do to be good in the NFL. He consistently makes good decisions. He avoids turning the ball over, and then he can win outside of structure. Now, now, for example, if we compare him to another quarterback in the NFC North, let's just call him Justin Fields, there is, that is a player who has definitely proved he can make plays outside of structure. But decision-making in structure has been abysmal. We're talking about the most turnover-prone quarterback in the league last year. Well, no evidence we've seen from, Justin, from Jordan Love says that's who he is. In a game against the Kansas City Chiefs in his first NFL start in 2021, he found out on Wednesday he was going to start because Aaron Rodgers had COVID. Uh, and he goes into to, uh, Arrowhead, and Steve Spagnuolo blitzes the daylights out of this kid. I'm talking every exotic pressure you can think of, emptying his bag, zero pressures, all-out blitzes, like how, how the average person plays Madden on defense. That's what Steve Spagnuolo was doing to Jordan Love. He threw one interception, and it was really the only bad, the only really turnover-worthy play he had in that game. He's only had a handful, like as in can count on one hand, a number of turnover-worthy throws he's had in camp this year. He's not going to hurt you, and I think he's already shown some flashes that he can elevate. We've seen this often how many times in the Shanahan tree where all you have to do is just don't be an idiot. That's what the scheme is. It, it is it's not idiot-proof, but if you're not an idiot, you can be a quality quarterback in this scheme, and I think that's what we're going to see this year from Jordan Love. How much different will the offense be with uh, Love at the helm versus Rodgers, and could it go, we'll say by NFL standards now, very run-heavy? I love this question because the answer is absolutely not. It, will, it, it may be a little more early down run-heavy than we saw last year. I would like that not to be the case, but it might be. And I think... You could also make the case that in third and short situations, Aaron Rodgers loved to air it out last year. If you ask Packer fans, just, just pull 100 Packer fans. What was your biggest pet peeve about what happened with this offense last year? Like 60 of them would say on third and two, the go balls to Alan Lazard. 
Like that was that was part of the offense that that just drove Packer fans absolutely nuts. I think you'll see more running and and run calls that are actually ran um, than than you did under Aaron Rodgers. But this is still a team that is going to air it out a lot. I think they're going to play um, in a, in a more traditional look, less shotgun, the way Aaron Rodgers wanted to play, more under center, the way Matt Lafleur wants to play. But look, the best we've seen Jordan Love play in the NFL was against the Eagles last year, almost. Um, almost 15 years, I believe, to the day of when uh, Aaron Rodgers made his debut against the Cowboys in a in a I, I, it debut in a way of like, oh, this guy is good, and it was all from the gun, like all from the gun, empty or you know four wide with a running back in the backfield because they were they were trying to come back to beat the Eagles, and I, I, that was what Jordan Love ran at Utah State. So it is certainly an offense that he's comfortable running. Um, or at least a, a, a personnel and formation grouping that he's comfortable running. So I don't think they're going to become some run-heavy team. Like if you have your shares in Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, that's fine. I think they're still going to be really productive. This was a top-five rushing offense last year. The offensive line is going to be better. They're going to be a top-five rushing offense this year. I'm actually fascinated to see the way teams play them. Are they going to dare Jordan Love to beat them? Because we saw this last year. When Christian Watson broke out in Week 10, the Packers were seeing among the most single-high and man-coverage rate in the league. Post-Week 10, they saw among the fewest. Christian Watson changed everything for this offense. Teams were afraid that he was going to beat them over the top, and they started playing differently. And I I am fascinated to see to start the season. Are teams going to live in those two high looks that have just permeated the NFL right now? Or are they going to say, Jordan Love, until you prove that you can beat us, we're going to dare you to beat us? Pete Pikowski with us. So let's... Let's talk a little bit about those skill positions because that's part of the reason why I really believe in Jordan Love. I think he's going to be good. I love Christian Watson. I think Romeo Dubs has a chance to be a good uh, second guy in terms of a wide receiver. Uh, do you have the same belief in this skill set? It sounds like you do with Watson. I think Christian Watson is on track to be a star. And, and we saw at the end of last year, he just there were, there were times when he flashed things that we never saw him do at North Dakota State, the contested catch rate. In fact, he had, I believe, the highest um, – Passer rating when thrown to in contested catch situation. That was a question coming out. Can he, can he do it if he's covered? Well, first of all, you have to cover him first, and that's a really difficult task. Ask the Dallas Cowboys. He scored three touchdowns on their dome at Lambeau Field in a game that the Packers came back from 14 down in the fourth quarter to win. But it's not just Christian Watson. It's Romeo Dobbs, who was the number one receiver on this team, really, until he got hurt and lit up training camp. Rod Aaron Rodgers never ever, ever compliments rookies? Never. And he could not stop gushing about Romeo Dobbs last year. They add Jaden Reed in the second round, a kid who's already making plays, had a, a beautiful touchdown against the Patriots, um, scored a couple times in joint practices against the Patriots and the Bengals. He is someone who is he is wide receiver three. He is their slot receiver from the jump. A.J. Dillon compared him to prime Randall Cobb, if you're just thinking about the kind of player you're getting there. And then this Packers organization, the team, the players, the coaches – they love Luke Musgrave, the kid from Oregon State. He, he just, Tom Pelissero from NFL Network called him the, the tallest, fast guy I've ever seen. He's 6'6", 255. And there was a day in practice, according to Matt LaFleur, where he was the fastest pass catcher on the field. Christian Watson ran 4-3-2, I think. Romeo Dobbs ran in the low 4-4s, and Jaden Reed, the Packers, clocked him at 4 3 nine. You're talking about a guy at 6'6", 255, who was the fastest by GPS, by mile per hour, the fastest pass catcher on the field that day. That tells you the kind of horsepower you're dealing with. They absolutely love him. 
He has played 100% of snaps, I believe, with Jordan Love on the field in preseason if you're a fantasy football player. He's going way too low in best ball, way too low on underdog, all that stuff. He is going to be a big part of this offense. They call concepts for him. He's the only guy in preseason base, as far as I can tell, that they're like, Let's, we gotta, we got to let this guy eat. And they, they think the sky is the limit for him. They, they think he is their George Kittle, their Travis Kelsey, their Dallas Goddard, their Mark Andrews, and that he can be, even if it's not as a rookie, because most tight ends as rookies are not great, they think he can be special. Demond, I know you got one. We got like 30 seconds, guys, about 45 seconds to wrap up. So go ahead. No, go. Oh, no, I was just going to ask, are the Packers concerned that Keyshawn Nixon isn't going to be as effective with the new kickoff rules? No. They love Keyshawn Nixon. In fact, if anything, they're looking to expand his roles. He's going to be the starting nickel. Wow. It looks like right now when Eric Stokes comes back, we'll see. He played really well as a nickel in, in some spot starts that he had to make in the middle of last year when they had some injuries in that, in that position. In fact, picked off our friend Justin Fields to steal it against the Bears in Chicago at the end of last season. And then there, Matt LaFleur has even joked about, like, hey, why not have an offensive package for him? He's special with the ball in his hands. Let's see if we can find ways to get him in, in those kinds of roles. No, they think they, think they have one of the true, the few true game-breakers at that spot in the NFL. And, and last year, they did. Last few seconds, uh, Peter, tell people in Vegas where they can follow your stuff and follow the Packers. Uh, at Peter underscore Bukowski on Twitter and every other backup social media platform you can think of. Um, the podcast is locked on Packers. And if you're a newsletter kind of person, um, the leap.football is the Substack. Go check us out. We're free every Monday, um, paid the rest of the week. Uh, and, yeah. Appreciate your time. That was a great spot. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you. Thanks, guys. So, I know your model says the Bears are not great. Let's just talk non-model stuff here for a second. John Von Tobel's here. Damon. I'll try. I mean, Peter Bukowski was really anti-Bears there. Do you think that – uh, there's that big a gap between the Bears and the Packers because I was not comfortable with the love, love fest. No, I just think I I would agree with his thought process of like I don't understand the love for the Bears. You know, if you want to think that they're going to be better, I get that. But for a team that finished with the worst record, now this year to have a win total of seven and a half to be the third choice ahead of Green Bay to win that division to, in some markets, have Justin Fields as one of their biggest liabilities to win MVP, those are the things I can't really get behind. So I didn't really necessarily agree with this massive gap between them and Green Bay. I just think that, from what it seems, market expectations for Chicago are way big for a team that had the worst record and worst defense in the NFL and who, I'll bring it back to the model for just a second, statistically had one of the worst producing quarterbacks from a passing standpoint in the NFL last year. Fields is 5-20 and 20 as a starter. Um, I've heard a bunch of people the last couple of days questioning the Bears' tactics of not playing him. What do you mean not playing him? In the preseason. Oh. Not giving him time, which I think is a fascinating debate. Would it help him? Can a guy who's still that raw not be out there during the preseason? I would argue it would beca- only because – He's got a penchant for turnover-worthy plays. Like yeah. that's it's his turnover-worthy play rates over four percent. That's really really high for a passer, and especially a passer who, by the way, last year passed for under three thousand yards. Like it's not like he's slinging it all over the place and has a high turnover-worthy play rate. He's not even passing at a high amount and still committing turnover-worthy plays at a really high clip. So I would my argument would be yes, only because live action could help you cut down on some of the turnover-worthy plays. All right. I guess you could also argue that because he is 
a guy who needs to run to be effective, you don't really want to put him at much risk in the preseason. But I get, I mean, but you translate that, don't you? I mean, at some point in the preseason, don't you tell him like, all right, look, we're working on your pocket skills. You know what I mean? Like, if there's nothing there, it's the preseason. Just go down. Like, you don't need to go out and run and put your body at risk. Who do you think is going to be better? Justin Fields. No, Bears or Packers. Oh. You think Justin Fields will be better than Jordan Love? Yes. I actually think he will be slightly more valuable than Jordan Love. I don't like Jordan Love. So, I mean, the way Bukowski was describing it, like, there sounded like there's no drop-off from Rodgers to Jordan Love. Like, are we serious? I mean, that was very, very, very That was Jordan very Love. aggressive. And, I, by the way, I was, I like, was kidding when I Don't make it. mistakes. All you have to do is avoid being a moron in the system. Like, okay. I mean, I think I would agree that the offensive system has a floor that if you're just average, it'll take it out of you if you're a quarterback. But the question is, I mean, to be fair, too, we talk about turnover-worthy plays. In college, Jordan Love committed a crap ton of turnover-worthy yes, plays. He like, he put the ball in danger a lot. Yeah. Like, there's high side, but there's also the part where he does put the ball in danger. And I also, by the way, I went back and looked at that Chiefs game that we were talking about Pete. He committed, like, four turnover-worthy plays in that game. He, it was not great. But he was getting blitzed the entire game. I think there's upside with Love. I think they're going to be good. I think the team is good around him as well, and I think that helps. I, the reason I asked the question, and it's not a fantasy question, Oh, no. No, I asked about the going run heavy. You have two good running backs. And I know, he again, he was going crazy on uh, Romeo, Dubs, Dobbs, however you say it. I thought it was Dubs when he was up in Nevada. Um, like, are, are Watson and Dubs established yet with a young quarterback that you're going you're gonna to still run sort of the same run-pass split? I would lean on the two running backs. I know that's not the game anymore, but I mean, wouldn't you? I think the world of Christian Watson. Okay. I think he's awesome. I think as he got healthy last year, remember he had that knee scope right before the season. It kind of slowed him down a bit. I think he's going to be really, really good, and I think that increases your play as a quarterback. All right, DeMond blurted out Fields real quick when he thought the conversation was head-to-head Fields versus take that bet. Love. What are we basing it on? How do you measure who's better? I mean, my, my first thing would be PFF grade because that's just a really good baseline of overall, but if you don't Ooh. believe in PFF, then – we can do it another way. Ooh, we want to do that. The court of public appeal. No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. Backing down already. No. I'm well, no, we're gonna we're gonna discuss this coming back because we need to make a we need to make a wager on this one, and maybe PFF is the way to go. So we'll debate it on okay. the way back. Sports gambling expert Sam Paniotovich is in. Nervous. Hey Jeff, how's the new job working out? <sighs> really sucks. Terrible boss and the paycheck is even worse. I gotta get a new job. Truck you. Wait, what? Truck you. You don't have to curse at me. Dude, you should check out Truck You CDL training. My brother got his CDL license in four weeks and now he has a new career making great money. Okay, I'm listening. Truck You offers small classes with night and weekend times available. They will even help with payment programs. Check them out. Truck, the letter U, LV.com. Truck You. Coolfield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sammy P. All right, let's get right back into the bet we were trying to have Demond make, but now he's shying away, so I'll probably have to take up the side. Back in the Sam Paniotovich is with us. What's up, Sam? Big news on the south side of Chicago. We can talk about that later, though. Yes. Well, we actually we wanted to start out with Chicago because we were just talking to a Packers expert uh, a couple minutes ago, and he was really trashing. Justin Fields, and then we came back from break, and we were just talking about betting some sort of metrics to see who is the better quarterback this year at the end of the year, Fields or Jordan Love. What side do you fall on? 
It's a very good question. I would probably say that Fields has a higher upside, but a lower floor. Okay. Where Love is probably right in the middle there. The the Packers have a better team, no doubt. One to fifty three. I think their offense is a lot better. They've they've drafted some really good young receivers. They have two running backs, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. The line is pretty good. Very veteran laden line and you have an offensive coach in Matt LaFleur in a league that is driven by offense. The bears went out and hired like John Fox jr. And Matt Eberflus. So I think, you know, talent around the quarterback, it's easy to say green Bay, but if Justin Fields can throw for 3000 and rush for 1200, those are MVP caliber numbers. So he could sort of circumvent the talent gap. If he is as good as people think he is. And I was in Vegas two weeks ago. All these books are saying the same thing. If Fields wins the MVP, we're in trouble. We're talking six, seven-figure liabilities because he opened 40 to 1, and now you can find him 15 to 1. So there's a lot of money on Fields to be MVP. That doesn't mean that he's a better player, but I think a long-winded way to answer your question, the Packers have a better team, but the Bears can be better if Fields is going to light the world on fire. Oh, it's weird. We we were ready to make this bet. Demon on Fields and and you on uh, Love, and then Demon like all. I didn't the last, out for the, the last minute. You're like looking second, at the, he's looking at the computers. He's the a, second I put stakes behind it, you were like. Nah, 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 nah. Take, the going, going take the bet. Take the bet. I'm going so eye test. So eye Sam. Test. I'm going Sam. dog in them. So, so Sam, the the, the whole wow. thing was. He was asked, who's better, Love or Fields? And without hesitation, DeMond threw out Fields. So I said, I'll take that bet. And the bet is, I like pick the metric, whatever, like whatever catch-all metric you want to use that measures which quarterback individually is going to be better. The second I put something behind it, DeMond's wussing out. So that's, that's the situation Fine. to catch you up here. Well, hold on. It sort of sounds like when you start throwing out these fancy stats, Demond's like, "Nah, I just I want to be like, wh- like, what's the elixir? Is it passing yards? Is how about this? Who has more total touchdowns? No, no, passing no. and receiving. No. Why, why, why not? It's, it's, I like that. It's PFF I like that. offensive number, the, the offensive grade. Yeah, but that's that, but that's like some nerd on a on a laptop doesn't like shouldn't be dictating your bet. Well, that's well, should, here's the bet. We gotta have some bet. metric. Who's responsible for more touchdowns? But period. that's but that's that's a ridiculous. Let's no, that's a ridiculous on, thing because yeah, that doesn't measure which quarterback is better. Yeah. Points on the board. What is that? That, that? That's what the game's all about. Because if you play to win the game, <laughs> I can't even. I can't even get into this conversation. Don't get frustrated. Get all frustrated. I, 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 <laughs> it is ridiculous. I, I, no, we'll 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 try to force. Demond's backing down, and now he wants to go by eye test. Like, okay, get out of here. So. Sam, what you came in with, and Sam Paniotovich is with us from Nesson and from Fox Sports. What you came in with is something I'm so jealous of. I'm a Yankee fan. You know, boo-hoo, Yankees, right? Uh, the fans. Um, they finally did it in Chicago, and I'm not rooting for people to lose their job. I think these guys will be fine. Um, I'd love to see the Yankees do this, but the White Sox finally said enough's enough upstairs. They got rid of both the executive vice president, Kenny Williams, and the GM, Rick Hahn. Those two have been there since – the early 2000s, they were there when the Sox won the World Series in 05. But what's more important, winning a World Series in 05 or actually winning a playoff game since then? Because hmm. they haven't done it. They've been to the playoffs only three times since 05. 08, 20, and 21. And not a single series win. And finally, they kicked those bums to the curb. And I am ecstatic about it. All right. Yankees should do the same, right? I mean, how much equity does Cashman really have built up um, they've been solid, but with that payroll, that market size, this is not acceptable. 
you can't be hanging your hat on a World Series championship in 2009 and a bunch of titles before, like, a college senior was born. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you did in 96, 98, 99, and 2000. Even 2009, I mean, that's that's a long time ago in the eyes of Yankee fans. Like, you should be a constant contender. And And when was the last time the Yankees were – World Series good, like 2019, maybe 2012. It's been a while since they've been a clear-cut contender. Like the Astros strike much more fear in me than the Yankees, and that's a problem. You just know who the good organizations are who are going to be good every year. They're going to bring up guys. They're going to develop guys from other organizations. And, you know, the Yankees payroll is north of 250 every year, and you look at the team, you're like, all right, they don't have a left fielder. They don't have a third baseman. They don't have a number two to five starter. Uh, their bullpen is shaky. Like, how can how can you have that many holes with that big a payroll? All right, more important than any of this, week zero, uh, the Jacksonville States of the world, La Techs are playing. That's bigger than the Yankees, right? Um, we love college football. Oh. So let's start here, John. I want you to jump into we've been sitting on the same number forever with Florida and Utah. Now what's happening? Yeah, so Sam, you brought this up last week. We talked about this uh, when Adam was on and myself. Uh, we've obviously been waiting for Cam Rising. Uh, Winningham today talked to media and said, uh, oh, you know, uh, uh, our deadline is 10 minutes before the game. We'll let you know if he's going to be ready. <laughs> this number is down to four and a half now. We talked about it last week. You know, the money doesn't wait for the coach to twiddle his thumbs and then say, oh, he's out. You know, like this stuff is pretty well known if you're close to the program or close to a broadcast position. And, uh, you know, last week I said, I believe I'm going to paraphrase myself, under 47 was the look and take the points. And those numbers are long gone. I mean, you could have gone under 47 as late as Sunday. That number is now 45 at Circa and 45 and a half everywhere else. And then you look at the side. I mean, you could have taken Utah or excuse me, Florida plus seven like four days ago. Mm. And and that's gone now. So even though nobody has ruled anybody out, I'm telling you right now on August 22nd, Cam Rising is not playing. The, the money in the market, the sharps I talked to, the bookmakers that are taking the bets are all hearing the same thing. This kid who on Pac-12 Media Day said, oh, I'm going to be ready for the opener, has quickly changed his tune. Well, I'm going to do what's best for me. And now the coach is talking about quarterback three and quarterback four. And all of that stuff plays into this. But it's more proof in the pudding that you cannot wait in college football. You cannot wait until Saturday to make these bets because really a lot of these quarterbacks get hurt on Saturday And the teams know by Monday and Tuesday they're not ready to go, especially when it comes to concussions. There were four quarterbacks last year that got their bells rung on Saturday, and the coach basically sat there all week and said, he's a game-time decision. And then on Saturday, he's not playing. So if you can get this information before the market, you can get under 47 on Florida, Utah, before it goes to 45. You can take plus seven on Florida before it goes to four and a half. But here's the crazy thing. This number probably still isn't done running. Like if if we get information that rising is officially out mm-hmm. in the next nine days, Utah is going to be a three, three and a half point favorite. And what happens then? The wise guys will lay three, three and a half on top of their Florida plus seven, and they're going to shoot the middle. So here's so that was going to be my follow up, which is if I'm somebody who's just listening now who didn't get seven, who didn't get under forty seven and a half, 
Uh, what's the point that you're coming in and betting Utah once Rising's out? Because I'm waiting, Sam. If this gets under three for sure, I'm in on Utah. Florida has a lot of issues offensively. Yep. Um, I, I know, you know, a lot of wise guys would say, well, you can't bet under 46 when you could have bet under 47. And I, I understand that for the two percenters in this world. But I'm telling you, man, Florida has a brand new quarterback. They just lost Anthony Richardson to the draft, obviously. Their offensive line is in shambles. They have two young receivers. Their tight ends are hurt. Florida is a mess, a mess, excuse me, offensively. Parlay that with Utah, probably on quarterback three. You have very rock fight vibes, if you know what I mean. Like, I, I, I understand. You should bet under 47, not under 46. But if, if you still have a 46, I would go under. This has all the makings of 20 to 17, 23 to 20 at the most. Like, Florida might score seven points. Let's not ignore the fact that Florida's got to go from the 95-degree swamp to the mountains in Utah, that is not easy for a young offense. So I still don't think Florida is a lock at plus seven by any means. I do really, really like this under, though, even at 46, even at 45 and a half. I like under. Week zero, San Jose State. If you can get a 31, I just did as you were speaking, against USC. I'm taking the Spartans. I took the points. I took 31-2. I tailed a buddy of mine who said that USC is being basically – pedestaled up through the clouds. That's what he said. He said, look, Caleb wins the Heisman Trophy last year. Lincoln Riley has all the ammo on offense. But really, defensively, they have issues tackling. And that's been the report out of practice. Yeah, they're going to score points, but they're going to they're gonna give up some points too. And you look at this total, 66 and a half. I mean, let's, all right, let's say that, that USC scores 40. You're telling me San Jose State can't get 10 this was a team that was 7-4 and four last year. They bring a lot of the offense back. So, yeah, man, I'm going to take anything over 30 here. You can get a 31 at South Point. You can get a 31 at, let's see, Superbook. You can get a 31 at Circa. The public is clearly going to bet the favorite here. And, sure, USC might win 50-2. to two. I, I'm going to bet against that, though, and I'm going to I'm going to bet against that USC hype. We're talking about national championship and Heisman Trophy, and the season hasn't even started yet. They're going to give up some points here, so I will take the points. Navy, Notre Dame. Ah, gun to my head, I'd lay it with Notre Dame. You know, I didn't want to lay 21. Now it's 20, just under that threshold. You know, 21 is one of my, my big key numbers in college football. Obviously, the seven's important, but I think the increments of seven are huge. Seven, 14, 21, 28. Anything under that key number of 21, I would lay it. Navy, new system, new coach, new everything. Notre Dame, Notre Dame's not great, but they can pummel a brand-new Navy team by three scores. Okay, one more. Sam Paniotovich is with us. Last minute here of our spot every Tuesday, we talk to the gaming expert from Nesson and Fox Sports. Purdue is laying four. There's a couple four-and-a-halves out there against Fresno State. Purdue is going to lose outright. I took Fresno at plus 190 a couple weeks ago. There are issues at Purdue. Long story short, brand new coaching staff. Jeff Brown brought the entire offensive staff to Louisville. Purdue has to replace quarterback, head coach, offensive coordinator. Their number one receiver blew his ACL a couple weeks ago. They're on center number three. This team is in trouble. And how about Aiden O'Connell? I mean, as good as he's looked in the preseason, you have to replace that at quarterback. I think the puppy is live here. I like Fresno to pull the upset at Purdue. One last thing. Tell the Vegas audience about your special guest and your conversation on chicken dinner. 
I just posted the new episode with 17-time World Series of Poker champion Phil Hellmuth. Yeah. He talks about gambling with Michael Jordan, which is hysterical. Jordan's a sicko when it comes to that stuff. And Phil also very good at NFL win totals. He gives us his favorite one for this year. That's on Chicken Dinner Podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast. Sam, I hope you win this weekend. Congrats on the White Sox. We'll see you. Let's take those points, baby. San Jose State. <laughs> So uh, my San Jose State pick has nothing to do with USC being overhyped, that, that West Coast stuff. Um, I think San Jose State can score some points, right? Mm -hmm. We'll talk about it on the way back, but Chevin Cordero, I think, is the best quarterback in the league, and in these types of games early in the season, they can score late on USC and stay in that game.